Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Teach us to pray. Amen. How are we doing this morning? We're good? We're awake-ish? All right, we're going to dive into the Word this morning. We are starting a new series today, and, uh, and I am, I'm excited about what God is going to do through the midst of this series over the next number of weeks. The series that the Lord put in my heart a little while back is entitled, Teach Us to Pray. Teach us to pray, and, and it's a title, a message title taken right out of Scripture. If you're familiar with Jesus and his interaction with his disciples, uh, you're, you're familiar with the fact that, thank you, that uh, uh, this is something that disciples asked of Jesus. Teach us to pray. We're going to unpack that passage here in just a minute. If you want to open your Bibles this morning uh, to Luke uh, to Luke chapter 11, and we're going to jump around in Luke quite a bit, but this is going to be kind of our anchor passage, not just for this morning, but for, for this series as we navigate through this. Uh, most, most times we will we'll go through a message series, and it'll be four or five or six weeks or so. Uh, I'm anticipating that this particular series will probably last us through a good portion of the summer. Um, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to prayer. There's a lot that we can look at and a lot that we need to understand. Uh, and, and my encouragement to you is this. When it comes to prayer, there's kind of this, uh, we, we can kind of have this mindset. Oh, oh, I know, I know how to pray. I'm good. Um, and, then, and then on the other end, we have this like, I have no idea what I'm doing and I need all the help I can get. Um, and I want us to kind of find ourselves in the middle of that. No, be, be confident in your prayer life, but also recognize you don't know it all, and there's a lot of area to grow. Amen? I'm going to say amen a lot today because we're talking about prayer. I'm going to get you warmed up. Can we just try that one more time? Amen? Yeah. All right. Good deal. I, I think if we had to ask around the room this morning, and even if we had to go and do a poll around our community, if we had to ask people just on the street, hey, is prayer important? Most people... A lot of people would say, oh, absolutely. In fact, if you had to ask people, hey, do you pray? Not, not do you go to church or, or are you a part of a, a religious affiliation, but do, do, are you a person who prays? A lot of people would say, yeah, I, I pray from time to time. We see it especially when something happens in our nation, whether there's a, a disaster or some kind of, something that just kind of shakes our nation. I, I remember after 9-11, uh, you know, our churches were filled with people wanting to come and pray, and you know, and it, it was an amazing season where the church just literally opened their doors and said, "If you need to come pray, pray." And and there was incredible opportunities to share the Lord with people and comfort them. But there was just in kind of ingrained into us is this need to pray. And so, if if you had to ask around, it, most people would say, "Yeah, prayer is an important part." of my expression of faith and a part of my relationship with the Lord. But, but I believe that too often we're ill-equipped in our prayer lives. 
that we don't have the right tools that we need to pray effectively, whether it's not knowing the why or the how or the when to pray. And so we get stuck very often, I think we get stuck praying in one way or from one perspective. And the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says that we need to pray in the Spirit on all, in, in all different occasions with all kinds of prayer. So that there's not just one model of prayer. There's different ways to pray and different approaches to prayer. And so Paul encourages us in that. And so what I'd love to do over these next few weeks is just take a closer look at prayer. To unpack a little bit God's heart for us when it comes to us communing with Him and fellowshipping with Him in prayer. To really unpack some of the whys and hows and whens and some process and some understanding and build a little depth into our prayer lives. I want to make this point right up front, and this is something that I'll say over and over again through this whole, this whole series, is this. Prayer is relational before it is utilitarian. Prayer is relational before it's a tool on our tool belts. And I think so often we come to prayer as something that we do. I, I need to pray because I have a need. I have something going on or I, I, there's a problem that needs to be addressed. And so we use prayer as more like a tool. I've heard people would say, you know, prayer is not like, God's not like the genie in the bottle and, and, and prayer is us rubbing right, the bottle. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is always relational before it's utilitarian. That God is calling us into relationship is something we talk about a lot here at Thrive. God is calling us into relationship, and prayer is one of the primary places where we fellowship and communicate, commune with God in relationship. And so you can see really clearly the danger is this. If I start treating prayer as a tool, I miss or I run the risk of missing the relationship. And at the end of the day, God is more concerned about the relationship than about the activity. The best way I can illustrate this or describe this would be in the context of my marriage to my wife, Megan. We talk to each other. It's a good thing to talk to your spouse. <laughs> amen? amen? There better be a hearty amen there. It is a good thing to communicate with your spouse. And I love that in Scripture we see the kingdom of God and the relationship that God has with us is compared to the relationship between a husband and a wife, that we are called the bride of Christ. And I think there's some intentionality in that for, for a number of reasons, but I think one of those is this. If there's going to be a relationship in your life where there needs to be constant, ongoing, intimate, personal communication it should be with your spouse. It has to be. It must be. It's not an option. I tell you what, when, when we have the opportunity to sit with couples and help navigate some of the, the storms, because storms happen in marriage, one of the biggest things that we find is this, is communication is the biggest breakdown within marriage. The ability to talk to each other can unseat everything else Money, children, parenting, future, sex, 
All of those things are, are a big deal. But communication is kind of the bedrock that, 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 that goes under all of those and when communication breaks down. And so, so when we think about prayer, you know, our communication with God, understanding this is that God wants us to communicate with Him and for Him to communicate with us. And in the same way that I would not get into a rhythm where, where my communication t- with Megan and talking to Megan would just take on like one dimension, could you imagine the kind of marriage we would have if all I ever did in the morning was get up and tell Megan what I needed from her that day? Right? Good morning, Megan. And maybe I'll throw in, I love you, here's what I need you to do today. Here's what I need you to accomplish. Here's what's going on in my life, and here's how I need you to satisfy whatever that is. That is not going to be a healthy marriage. That's not going to work well. See, there's dimensions and facets of communication in my marriage to my wife where there's times where we have intense conversation, and there's times where we have intimate conversation, and then there's times where we just talk about silly things. And just laugh. There's times that we're together and we don't say anything. There's times that we dream about our future and there's times that we talk about our past. There's times where we talk about difficult things and hard things and and things that are challenging to us. And then there's times where we just celebrate what God is doing. And all of these aspects and facets of communication in our marriage bring richness and life and closeness and relationship and joy. Even working through and dealing with arguments and things where we would disagree, there's joy in the midst of working those things out and coming to a point of agreement in that. How much more when it comes to our relationship with God? How would, what kind of relationship would we have with the Lord if all we ever did was maybe once a day go get up and say, God, you're pretty awesome. Now do this for me. Here's what I need from you. Yet if I were to paint kind of a broad brushstroke of what prayer looks like in the, in the church in America, I would say that's probably close to what it looks like for us. Is prayer becomes this thing where, God, I need something for you. I need you to come through for me. And his great joy is to do that, but it's so much more, so much more. Second Chronicles chapter 7, in the Old Testament, verse 13, God says this to the children of Israel. He says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, my ears will be attentive to the prayers offered in this place. What we know about God is that He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that same inclination of His his posture towards us exists today as it did for for the Israelites. That when we turn... And we get on our knees and we humble ourselves and we pray that God hears and then God moves. But do you catch the depth that God is trying to express towards his children here? I see you. I see what's going on in your lives and I care about you. But I'm not going to just do things for you 
and just drop it. Now, God blesses us, but there's a partnership and there's a relationship that develops where he invites us to start pressing in to who he is all the way back in the Old Testament through the New Testament into today. We are living in amazing times. I'm going to tell you, the stories that we're hearing around the world of what God is doing, even on a mission Sunday, as we would just recognize that God is moving in power around the world. I was in a conversation with a, a friend of mine, um, Life Pacific College had their graduation this weekend, and so we got to be a part of that and seeing people that we haven't seen in a while. And in the midst of one of the conversations with a pastor and another leader, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of the the thing that came up was this, What's, what, what are we seeing? What is going on in the world around us? And one of the guys just immediately goes, signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. This is what we are seeing. Signs and God is doing miraculous work around the world and he's doing it here as well. That we are living in an incredible time in, in history. There is a stirring of the spirit of God on the face of the earth that is, there's just kind of this electricity in the air. I mean, hearing this report from Gary and Joy and what's happening in Bratislava, I, I got up this morning early and I, you know, I hopped on Facebook just to kind of check out what's going on. And one of the first things that popped up was a live stream of a service in St. Petersburg, Russia. And I didn't understand a word that was being said. But I just loved the fact that I got to sit in and have this window into what God is doing halfway around the world. Our friend Steve and Kim Cecil are the missionaries there, and he got to visit us about a year ago. He was here, and you know, they have about eight churches in Russia right now, but they have a vision for 500. And it's happening. They, they, in fact, the part of the service, again, I didn't understand what was being said, but I could understand the, the body language. And there was a group of young people receiving some kind of certificate of training. See, what they're doing is raising up the leaders to plant those churches. And the fact that with the technology available, I could sit in my home this morning and watch that happening around the world. We are living in amazing times. God is moving in power, but I also know this, there has been a, a rise in persecution against the church globally, daily, that Christians are being singled out for their faith and their lives are being taken from them. They're being kicked out of their churches. Our friends in Sri Lanka, where just recently there was all of those bomb attacks, those bomb blasts on Easter Sunday, have been told by the government, we're encouraging you to stop meeting, stop assembling. And you know what their response is? No way. No way. Do you know that throughout history, the church has never been as effective as it is when it is persecuted? We pray God bless us, and what we're kind of saying in code is God make us comfortable. Can I get an amen? And God is going, I'm not going to make you comfortable because when you're comfortable, the urgency of the gospel settles. He goes, I will direct you, I will lead you, I will protect you. But man, throughout history, we see the greatest revivals happen when the church is persecuted and the gospel is spread. We are living in amazing times. And right at the forefront of all of that has to be prayer. In our hearts, in our lives, in our personal walk and relationship with Jesus, prayer comes absolutely first. 
It is the place where we meet with God. It is so critical and essential for us. So, so as kind of a 30,000-foot perspective, we understand this, that prayer at its core is this. It is talking and listening to God. Talking to and listening to God. Both of those are important. It was Mother Teresa, when being interviewed uh, by a, a reporter, was asked, well, Mother Teresa, when you pray, what do you say? And her response was, I don't say anything, I just listen. And so the crafty reporter quickly snaps back, well, okay, then what does God say? And she says, he doesn't say anything, he just listens. And then she follows up and says, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. (laughs) There's an intimacy that happens in prayer that you can't explain. But when you live in it, you know you're living in it. The depth of community and relationship with God. Prayer is communion and fellowship with God. It is giving praise to God. Prayer is a place where we declare thanks to Him and worship His name. Prayer is a place where we can confess our sin and ask for forgiveness in our lives. Prayer is a place where we can make requests. That actually is a part of what God says we should do in prayer. It's allowed. It just can't be the only thing. But God wants to take care of the needs in our lives. Prayer is a place where we can intercede for others and pray for the situations in other people's lives. We did that this morning as we prayed for Gary and Joy. Thousands of miles away, but we made intercession. And the Spirit of God and all of the forces of of heaven are moving on our behalf and on their behalf because of that intercessory prayer. Prayers where we fight spiritual battles. Paul tells us that the weapons of our, of our warfare are not carnal, they're not flesh, they're spiritual, and they're unleashed in prayer. It's a place where we can pray in the Spirit with words that we don't even understand, addressing things that we don't comprehend. Praying is what we do when we don't know what to pray about. Even Scripture tells us that there's just times we don't know what to pray for. We don't even know what to ask for. But that doesn't mean we don't try and we don't press in. I want to take us to Luke chapter 11 and read this encounter that Jesus has with the disciples and unpack a little bit about what what his response is. Because could we just agree if Jesus says it, it's important? Can I get an amen? If Jesus says it, it's important, and if it's something he tells us to do, it's probably something we should do. Not probably, it's something you should do. (laughs) I love, I remember the bumper sticker, maybe you saw this. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know that the I believe it part is, it doesn't matter. God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not, right. right, I hope you do. God said it, that settles it. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say. Say that with me. When you pray, say. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. That's so good. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up, get, get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And the one, uh, to, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil... Know how to give good things to your children, good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Father, this morning we ask that Your Word would come alive in our hearts, that the words of Jesus would resound in our souls and in our spirit. Holy Spirit, we want to hear You this morning. We humble ourselves before You today and ask that You would shape our prayer lives and our prayer posture before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Most Sundays I, I try not to sing really loud because I know my voice will crack and I didn't do that today. So thank you for the water. You don't know what you don't know. Amen. <laughs> you don't. It's actually, that's the definition of ignorance. You just don't know. what you, we, we mean that as a slight. Oh, you're so ignorant. It just means you don't know what you don't know. And there's a lot of things you don't know. The disciples here with Jesus are watching him closely. They're watching his life, the way he interacts with people, and they're watching how he prays. Now remember, these are good Jewish men. They've grown up in the synagogue, and prayer has been a part of their lives since they were little boys. But now they're watching Jesus and they're recognizing something else is going on here. Those who would lead and teach would have disciples and followers would, each one would teach their disciples to pray kind of the way that they prayed. They would pass that on to them. And so these men surrounding Jesus recognize he is praying in a way that we don't know how to pray. There's something different about what he's doing so now, of course, we understand from our perspective what Jesus had that they didn't and no one else had was a personal connect to the Father, that he was in intimate relationship with the Father and heard his voice in a way really no one else could do. In fact, it was because of the person of the Holy Spirit who had filled Jesus when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River and the work that God in that, did that moment, just that there was this connect that Jesus had with the Father and he referred to it constantly and the disciples are on the sidelines watching going we want that and so knowing that they don't know what they don't know they have the audacity to come and say teach us jesus teach us to pray 
Just like John teaches his disciples, and there's almost like this little like, but we know the way he's teaching them isn't even the real thing. We want what you got. Jesus, we know in Scripture, was pray, he prayed a lot. In fact, Luke 5.16 says this, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And so his disciples watched this process of prayer in the life of Jesus. And the more they watched Jesus pray, the more they realized, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Jesus, teach us to pray. And so Jesus responds to them and he says, when you pray, say, now, what we read here in Luke 11 is different to what we read in Matthew 6, where Jesus gives us the longer version of the Lord's Prayer. And it's believed, scholars believe that here in, in Luke 11, it's not, it's, um, it, it's not synoptic, it's not a, a, a mirror of what was happening in Matthew. This was a different place at a different time. Um, and so the conversation is recorded differently because it wasn't the same conversation we understand in the scriptures that there's a lot of stories that overlap and we'll hear in multiple, multiple gospels. This reflects what we hear in Matthew 6, but it's not exactly the same. And so we have this more abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. And in Matthew 6, when Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer, he says there, this then is how you should pray. And he gives them kind of a framework or a model for prayer, and it's a little longer. But here in, in Luke 11, he actually says, this is what you need to say. Now, what Jesus isn't saying is, the only prayer you ever need to pray is this prayer. But I believe what Jesus gives us here is kind of the baseline. It's the starting point. If you're going to start somewhere in prayer... This is where you want to start out and then kind of branch into all those different kinds of prayer. And so it goes without saying that we would want to get this right, that we would want to understand what Jesus is saying here. I think one of the dangers with the Lord's Prayer is it's so familiar. I can just say it off the top of my head. If I just started right now, we would just all join in. And familiarity sometimes is dangerous because we lose the savor and the value. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us this day, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. That's it. Concise, simple, but oh so deep. What I'd like to do for the time we have remaining this morning is unpack just each of those thoughts and tie a value to it, a kingdom value to it. Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name. What happens here is Jesus is saying to the disciples, adjust your focus. Adjust your focus. We all understand this. We can get so caught up in the here and the now. We can just see what we see in front of us. And the very first step when it comes to prayer is to understand who God is and remind ourselves that He is hallowed. He is holy. He is divine. He is sacred. He is set apart. He is honored. He is blessed. He is revered. And His name is to be worshipped. Right. And that list could just keep going and going right. and going. When we sing the words that we sing here in worship on on Sunday morning, it is, it is a prayer put to praise, to worship, to music. It says, God, we're just going to, you are to be honored. You are, you are hallowed. You are holy. 
And what happens is, is this, this word called magnification. We magnify his name. Some of you used to maybe go to camp or your church used to sing, Oh, magnify the Lord for... And then we would do it in the round, right? Remember, anyone remember that? Yeah, we're not going to do it today, but maybe one of these Sundays. And I remember going, what does that mean? I'm a kid, I'm going, oh, magnify the Lord. Great. Because the only thing I could relate to magnifying was my magnifying glass and ants on a sunny day. Right? Magnify. To magnify is to make something bigger. Now, we know this. God can't be bigger than what he is. But our perspective of who God is needs to be magnified. Because the world we live in and the way we live our lives, sometimes we forget that God is magnificent. And so when we turn our attention to him and we adjust our focus, and, and what we're doing is we're, we're pushing everything out of the periphery, and God is getting bigger in our moment. Bob was talking about when we say the name Jesus. That, that's what we're doing. When you're just at that place and you go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. What I'm doing is I'm pressing into a place where he is magnified in my field of of view, not physically, but emotionally and spiritually in my soul. And, and, And now I see him more than anything else. It's to make him bigger, to turn our attention to God so that everything else fades away. What it does when we start with, Father, hallowed be your name, is it reminds us of who he is and who we are. Or more importantly, of who he is and who we are not. That you don't have it in your own power to fix your situation, your circumstance, whatever's happening in your life. You need him. We are completely dependent on him. So Jesus starts here first. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And can I tell you right there, if you just said amen, amen at that point, that would be a great prayer. That would change your heart, that would change your perspective, it would change your life. If all you ever prayed was, Father, hallowed be your name. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He then says, your kingdom come. In Matthew 6, he expounds that a little bit more. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But here he just says simply, your kingdom come. What your kingdom does is it sets our perspective. So we adjust our focus and we start looking at the magnificence of God, but then we set our perspective in regard to the world around us and whatever we're walking through. Because once you look at God, you can't look at the world around you the same way. Whatever you're going through, whatever is happening in the world around you, once you gaze on the glory and the magnificence of God, when you turn back and look at everything else going on in your life, it's not going to look the same. It's going to change. So he says, your kingdom come. Like I said before, we lose perspective and we start thinking that all there is is what there is in front of us. And we don't realize, we don't remember that we are a kingdom people. That our citizenship is not of this world, that it is of heaven. It is an eternal citizenship, that we are joint heirs with the Father. That we are in relationship in the kingdom of God, that we are identified as sons and daughters. 
And, and everything, every right that comes from being a citizen of heaven is available to you and to me. If that's not a game changer, I don't know what is. Amen? Amen. That you are a part of a kingdom and that you have kingdom authority to make that declaration. Jesus doesn't say, hey, ask someone else to usher in the kingdom. He says to, to us, to the disciples and to us, you pray your kingdom come. You take that stand. You adjust your perspective. See, because when we start thinking in kingdom mindset, again, the world around us seems to fade away. And the issues that we may be dealing with may not go away completely, but they're definitely put in their place. See, the goal of the enemy is to magnify your problems and diminish the kingdom. And what prayer does is goes, hey, I remember that I'm a child of God. I'm a part of his kingdom. God, your kingdom come in my home, in my circumstance, in my work, in my whatever it is. God, your kingdom come. But then we're also in partnership with what God is doing around the world. That you are an active partner in what God is doing to the far reaches of this globe. Especially when we consider that prayer transcends distance and limitations. He goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. What Jesus is saying is this, God, take care of the needs in my life. In light of the fact that you are holy and you're magnificent and you're above everything else and that you rule a kingdom that is here present on this earth and I have access to and I am a citizen of, in light of that, would you take care of the needs in my life? If you're hungry, you know you're hungry. Am I right? When you're hungry, you know you're hungry. You know you need to get something to eat. It's just why Jesus fed the crowds that's sitting on that hillside. They were hungry. And here's what we know. If you're hungry, you can't listen anymore. This is why service doesn't start at 11 and go to, to 1. Because at a certain point, lunch starts kind of getting in the way. I'm hungry. God cares about the details and the needs of your life. And, and the most element-based need that we have is the need to eat. We need food. Right? God, give us this day our daily in and out. (laughs) Come on, give someone an amen right there. Take care of the needs of my life. God cares about the details. In fact, he cares more than you know, and he cares maybe even more than you care. See, daily bread is sustenance, and he gives us what we need for today. We see it in the children of Israel as they wandered through the desert. He gave them manna from heaven, and he met their needs every day. Not in their own strength, but in his might, miraculously. Notice that Jesus says, doesn't say, Lord, give us today what we want. God, here's what I really like. No, just give me my daily bread. Give me, Lord, what I need in this moment to take care of this moment. God cares about the details. And in fact, it's an important part of our relationship with him is understanding that. He goes on to say, forgive our sins. Now it gets real. Forgive our sins. See, this is where we repent and we receive forgiveness. In fact, this is one of our greatest needs. 
Church, we have to deal with our sin before the Lord. We have to deal with our sin. And we understand that we stand in a place of grace and mercy, and that God has justified us. But as we've talked, over, talked about even over these last few weeks, is that He's also sanctifying us. And so God doesn't ignore our sin. And so we can't ignore our sin. And when we come and stand before the Father, that we would say, God, like, like David said, God, search my heart. Search my heart. And just, just point out anything that doesn't belong. Because I, I just want to bring it to you. And I want to ask for forgiveness. I need to repent for the sin in my life. I tell you what, failure to deal with our sin will always lead to ineffective prayer. It just does. Not because God's limited, but because there's a dynamic there that he goes, you have to deal with your stuff. Not so that he can beat you up, so that he can do a work of cleansing and purifying. And it does something good for our souls. Those things that are held in secret. God says, bring them before me and expose them before me and let me lift you up. Let me do a a work in your life of healing. We have to deal with our sin as we walk through the process of sanctification. And then he says these words. We also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lord, forgive me for my sin. I repent and I ask for your forgiveness. And in response to what you've done in my life, He doesn't say this. No, Jesus doesn't say, God, give me the strength or the ability or the patience or an opportunity. He just says, I do it. We forgive everyone who sins against us. Lord, in light of what you've done for me, the only response I can have is to forgive those who have sinned against me. This is God's heart reflected through my life. It's God's heart reflected through me. See, we've been given, we've been freely given, and we need to freely give. You know, unforgiveness is a a form of pride, and God hates pride. He just does. You know why? Because in essence, we're saying, God, I'm better, better than you. That the thing that I have received from you, I don't need to give it to other people. God, I'm better than you. Man, if something is going to hang up our prayer, our prayer life, it's going to be this. Matthew 18, Jesus says, tells the story of the man who's forgiven the debt, comes to the lender, and, and he begs, and he pleads, and he cries, and the debt is forgiven, a large debt. And then that man turns around, and then he goes to someone, one of his servants that owes him just a little bit, a bit of money, and he says, you lazy person, give me my money. Give me what's due. And that man, in the same way, begs for mercy and forgiveness. He says, no way. He says, you wicked... um, Let me get get to that in a second. He says, no way, I'm not going to offer to... Come and have him arrested. Put him in chains. Jesus makes this statement about that guy. He says, the master, when hearing about this, called the servant in. And here's what he says, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had 
on you. In asking Jesus how to pray, Jesus goes here. He deals with this. I think we give ourselves a lot of permission and a lot of latitude in the church to not deal with this in our hearts. And we come up with all kinds of great excuses and great reasons, but here's the reality. We can't avoid this because God didn't avoid it for us. The fact that he says to the servant, he calls him wicked, that when we walk in unforgiveness and we, once we've received forgiveness from the Lord, he says, you know what? <laughs> That's wickedness. And can I tell you right now, I'm pretty sure of this, God does not hear the, the prayers of a wicked person. God is not going to answer the prayer of someone who is walking in wickedness. This is tough. I imagine at this point the disciples are like, Jesus, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> but we don't do this in our own strength. See, because we go back to, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Take care of the needs in my life. Forgive me of my sin. And in light of all of that, I now have what I need, not in my own strength, but in his strength to walk in forgiveness towards others. This is how we pray. This is how we're called to pray. To show the heart and the love of God towards other people. And then finally he says, and lead us not into temptation. What, God, what Jesus is saying here is guard my steps and direct my steps. Let's be clear about this. God does not tempt. James tells us that God is not tempted nor does he tempt. So what is Jesus saying when he says lead us not in temptation? What he's saying is have the kind of relationship and kind of communion with God where you're in relationship where he's directing your steps away from temptation. So when we're moving to, to, towards temptation, essentially what's happening is we're not praying. We're neglecting that part of our lives. We're saying, God, I got this right off the cliff. And Jesus says, pray and ask. And it's, we see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says to his disciples, pray. Pray that you might not be tempted. Pray that the enemy would not be able to come and whisper something to you that would distract you from God's intent for your life. Prayer becomes this intimate, ongoing connection where daily we're fellowshipping with the God of the universe, recognizing that his kingdom is amazing, that he takes care of our needs, that we are forgiven, that we can come before him and repent, that we can forgive others, and then he directs our steps in such a way that we can avoid the pitfalls. How often do we start there? God, help me not to mess up today. In my strength, in my effort, God, just help me just to not make a mistake. And we forget about all of the other components, and it doesn't go that great. Jesus says we've got to set our perspective first and see his face. God, guide my steps in such a way that I am directed away from temptation. Jesus closes this thought with two pictures. The shamelessly audacious friend who just keeps knocking. And I love that he says, eventually he's not going to give it to you because of the friendship. He's going to give it to you because you just won't go away. <laughs> 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 
my kids are awake, the dogs are barking, what do you need? Now, just get out. Now, I, there's humor here. I mean, Jesus is using incredible humor to say, listen, if this is what your friend would do for you, how much more when you are just, try this, God is calling us to be shamelessly audacious when it comes to our prayer life. That's huge. God, I just want to keep pressing in and pressing in and pressing in and pressing in and not just throwing up kind of a drive-by prayer. Oh, I prayed about that once. God's going, how, how much do you want this? How much are you willing to press in? Just keep knocking. Be persistent. Ask, 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 ask. Why? Because he, 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 he doesn't hear us the first time or he's busy? Not at all. Because God knows in the process of us coming before him and humbling ourselves before him and recognizing who he is and that his kingdom is huge and he wants to take care of our needs, in the process of us putting ourselves in that place, we are changed. And he's more concerned about the condition of your soul than about how much money is in your bank account. Now I'm meddling. Jesus is meddling. God is more concerned about what's going on inside of you rather than just giving you what you think you need. So he says, be persistent because it will change you. And then he says, what father... What father, when his child asks for bread or for an egg, would give him snakes and scorpions? Which isn't it interesting that Jesus tells us that we've been given authority to trample on snakes and scorpions? Hey, if you, if you seek, you find. If you knock, the door will be answered. Because your father loves you. Your father loves you. And he finishes with this statement, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The greatest thing that we can ask for is the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the touch of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who guides us and directs us and convicts us of sin. And, and he's saying, listen, if you would ask, he's going to give you the thing that you need more than anything else. That we would pray, Holy Spirit, fill my life in response to who I see the Father being, in response to what Jesus has done, Holy Spirit. And, and the Father says, absolutely. I love you. Church, this is where we start in prayer. There's all kinds of other prayer we're, we're talk about. We're gonna talk about some practical things. How do you pray for your children? How do you pray for your spouse? We're gonna put some tools in your tool belt, your prayer tool belt. Even imagine on Sunday mornings just putting like his prayer tool belt on as you come in and be like, all right, I'm gonna fill up. I'm a tool guy, so I, that's the language I speak. I'm gonna fill up every slot with tools that I can use. We wanna equip you for the sake of the kingdom, for your sake and for your family. But it's always gonna start here. When you pray, say can we stand together as we close? This morning at the end of the close of our service, our prayer team is available. If you need to pray with someone for whatever need, whatever issue, whatever is going on in your life, feel free to go pray with them. They would love to partner with you in prayer. Can we bow our heads this morning as we close? Father God, we thank you. 
God, we praise you, we worship you, we magnify your holy name. You are holy. Would you just speak praise to the Father right now? You are holy. You are worthy. You are honored. God, you are set apart. We honor you in this place this morning. We love you. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, Lord. God, take care of the needs that are present, Lord, in this place. God, forgive our sin. We repent. And God, cause us to walk in forgiveness towards others. And Lord, would you guide our steps, every single one of them. Jesus told the disciples, it's for your benefit that I go. Because once I go, I will send, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. And he will guide you and he will teach you and he will direct you and he will empower you. And we see throughout scripture that the Holy Spirit is present at work in the lives of the believers and in the early church, but there was an opportunity that they had as well to ask for a filling, an infilling of the Holy Spirit, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see it in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. We see it in other expressions and in other places in the New Testament. And can I tell you that is for today as much as it was for then. And Jesus here says, what father when, when his son or his daughter asks would give him something else? How, how much he wants to give us the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's right. I would ask this morning, if there's any of you today and you'd say, Pastor, I've never asked to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to receive that power from on high. And I, I would like that. I, would, I need that. I want that. I'm desirous of that. My, maybe your, your own spirit is stirring in your heart today, in your life today. If that's you, would you simply raise your hand up high? We just want to, there, there's just a point of agreement here where we can say, yes, we agree with that and we want to pray with you. Anyone this morning, I can't see real well, but anyone this morning would say, I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see that hand, yes. See that hand. Anyone else this morning would say, yes. Can we pray this prayer together this morning? Father God, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. We need you. Would you just consume every part of our lives? Would you direct our steps? Would you teach us? Would you convict us? And empower us for your service and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.